Welcome to our special Faith in Life feature of LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Uh, today we're going to listen into an interview that we did with Pastor Chris Toma from Our Savior Evangelical Lutheran Church in Heartland. He did this video as a, or this interview as part of our video about uh, Love Protects Life, our initiative to encourage churches to adopt a weekend in October, Saturday and Sunday, in which they are going to make abortion and talking about it a focus. I would really encourage you, uh, besides listening to this interview, of course, if you want to go see the video that he and Pastor Chris Brooks from Woodside Bible Church in Troy did together, uh, it's a really great video. Just go to rtl.org slash lovelife, and you'll also find information there about our Love Protects Life initiative. Okay, here's our interview with Pastor Toma. I'm Christopher Toma, pastor of Our Savior Evangelical Lutheran Church and School in Heartland, Michigan. Um, I've been pastor of this wonderful congregation, this wonderful school, uh, for quite some time. I've been a servant there since 1999. It's a congregation of about 950 souls, uh, and it's a privilege, again, to serve uh, in the fields alongside these wonderful saints in the Lord. Um, some of the wonderful things about our congregation, first and foremost, is that our primary mission into the world around us is our day school, which is a completely tuition-free preschool through eighth grade endeavor. Um, so we are uh, able to serve the community around us with, uh, uh, with free Christian education, which is uh, something that our world so desperately needs. Uh, my congregation is a pro-life congregation. I am a pro-life pastor. And the reason I can say this with great certainty is because our Lord is a pro-life Lord and his word is pro-life. Go anywhere you want in the scriptures and dig into those issues of life and death, heaven and hell. And at the center of all of it, you'll find a savior who loves you and desires for you to have life. And from that, he brings a gospel that is always aimed in the direction of preserving life, protecting life. So it would be hard pressed for me as a Christian pastor to ever put myself into the position of being someone who would be considered pro-choice. It can't be done. They don't fit together. So I am a pro-life pastor and I urge and teach and preach to my congregation to be a pro-life congregation because our Lord is pro-life. Why do you think pastors uh, and, and churches are fearful for speaking out uh, on life issues? Um, for, the, for the most part, or for the first part, um, I would say that I don't believe for a second um, that pastors uh, are fearful uh, because they feel inadequate, you know, that they maybe feel like they don't have the skills or the resources or the intellect. Um, they are uh, pastors, just to be honest, and, and not to be vain in any way, but pastors are some of the best educated folks on the planet. Um, some of the smartest people I know are clergy. Um, um, but the, the point being, I, I don't think for a second they're afraid of, of engaging on the front lines because they just don't feel like they've got what it takes to actually make a difference there. Um, past, and, and mainly uh, another thing to this is that they're, they're equipped with the Word of God. 
um, and they know this. Uh, being equipped with the word of God is to be equipped with what Paul says throughout his epistles is the power of God, uh, the power of God unto salvation. So pastors have this. And the, with the Bible in hand, with the scriptures in hand, they have the clearest way forward for bringing the will of God to their people and to the communities around them. They can say, here's where the Lord stands on these issues. What, what are our opinions of it? Well, that's great. But in the end, what's the Lord think of these things? And, and how are we as God's people to, to uh, understand this and to go forward uh, with his will and affect the communities around us? Um, so um, the fear is not inadequacy, I think. Um, but now, so what is it then? Uh, most often I'll hear from men that pastors are afraid because they're um, they're afraid of maybe offending someone or uh, offending a member or something like that. I think some of that comes from the fact that they're they've somehow assimilated into their thinking that the idea of abortion is a political issue, uh, but it's not a political issue. It's a life and death issue, and if it's a life and death issue, it's a Christological issue. So a Christological issue belongs to the church, not to the world. So it's the job of the church to, to step up and step out and deal with this particular issue. But nevertheless, pastors are, of course, fearful that, um, they, that it is a political issue and that because it's a political issue, their people believe it's a political issue and they don't want to offend anyone. Um, and why would they not want to offend them? Well, because you offend your members. What happens? You know, they, attendance goes down. Um, giving goes down, um, and that makes a difference to them. And it's understandable, those fears. Um, in the end, um, these fears are, are sort of boiled down to a fear that's more particular to the risk involved of exposing oneself. Uh, when, when you turn on the lights uh, to expose the monsters, and you're the one turning on the lights, and the monsters now can see you, and they aim their focus on you, set their sights on you. That's a scary thing, to know that those who would support abortion, those who are um, adamantly in favor of it, and even vigilantly in favor of it, might make you and your congregation a target. Um, that can be a fearful thing, and especially if you um, come into this uh, as a clergyman or, or a pastor feeling alone, feeling as though you're the only one. Uh, congregations will be afraid of, of being called out amongst the community in these ways. How is it that pastors and churches can really engage on the issue of abortion? The, the need to be engaged on the front line, on the part of pastors and congregations, is absolutely crucial. Uh, and we were talking just a moment ago about the reasons for fear. Um, you know, fear has kind of this um, geometry to it. And it always ends up building platforms that uh, allow permissions for the villains, for the, the cruelest among us in society to cause incredible devastation. Uh, anywhere you go in history, um, you, you pick the time, uh, the ethnic cleansings in North Africa or Africa as a whole. Um, the Holocaust is, is one you might think of, the um, euthanizing of all the mentally ill in Germany at the time. Uh, the millions massacred under Stalin's uh, socialist regime. These things did not come to an end 
until a contingent of those who were at one time fearful became courageous. It, they didn't come to an end until other people found the will to get in between the monsters and the meal and between the monsters and the victims. So it's incredibly important that we as pastors and as churches step up because other people are involved. Why is it important to overcome all this fear? Again, because lives are at stake. Lives are at stake. Uh, we, have to, we have to make sure that we understand uh, the cost involved in this and understand our Lord's mandate as well uh, to get in, in the game. Um, I, I will often tell folks that, and maybe going back to some of the fear factor, um, folks don't have to feel as though they have to be some sort of an all-star, some sort of an eloquent all-star uh, to be on the front line. Um, that's not how it works. There will be some. There will be some who are out in front leading in certain ways. You know, we have Barb Listing, who does a wonderful job leading Right to Life of Michigan. Top-notch lady doing some fine work. But not everybody can be a Barb Listing. We understand that. But that's not the point. Uh, the point is that the Right to Life movement needs people who know the fundamentals and are willing to get in the game and play hard. That's what we need. That's what we need to be able to drive the ball down the field, drive it forward, knowing that uh, we're in this together and we can make, make things happen. Um, now, the second part of your question, um, how do, how do um, pastors, how do churches sort of stay strong in this? Uh, not just maybe for one Sunday in October, but uh, constantly. Um, again, sort of this sort of comes back around in that, that geometry to the fear that pastors might have. Unfortunately, um, congregations are often a direct reflection of the vigor of the pastor who's leading them. So, you know, you'll have a, a weak congregation on this topic if you've got a pastor who's weak on it, uh, who doesn't know necessarily the details, uh, is not all that invested, or for the most part is probably disinterested in it, wants to stay out of it. Um, so it's important that the pastors preach and teach regularly, preach and teach their people on these topics regularly. Again, um, this is not a, a political issue. This is a Christological issue. This is something that the church owns. Um, and interestingly enough, um, the prophet Hosea, the Lord through the prophet Hosea speaks as to how his people are suffering and dying for lack or, or they're, they're lacking uh, knowledge because the pastors are not preaching and teaching them. So the Lord is not happy uh, when the clergy sit back and, and let the, the world, the secular world, uh, accommodate itself, cling on to these things. Um, so it's important that we do engage. Um, so congregations can be strong uh, when their pastors are being strong uh, and teaching and preaching them, on, uh, preaching to them on a regular basis. And, and you'll see the effects of this. The effects of this will be natural. Um, the, the congregation will go out. The people in their individual lives, their one-on-ones with family, with friends, but namely at the ballot box, they will know the will of the Lord. They'll know to be able uh, uh, to, to discern who is the better candidate, who is going to stand for life, and who actually has that sort of that steely spine that matches their own when it comes to actually uh, letting their yes be yes and their no be no uh, in this regard. Um, so that's very, very important. The pastors have to preach and they have to teach on it regularly. This um, life, or excuse me, uh, Love Protects Life initiative is beautiful in this sense in that it gives 
not only is it a beautiful title, which I'd like to talk about uh, at some point here, um, it's a beautiful title that's been selected, but the initiative itself puts before the congregations a wonderfully faithful opportunity to actually do that, even if it's only one Sunday, but that one Sunday can be replicated by the pastors throughout the year. They can, they can build bridges from that, not only in uh, September, October, but even after the election in November, continue the momentum. Um, now, pastors in particular uh, can stay strong in this fight on a regular basis throughout the year uh, based simply by using the skills that God has given them. Um, I was saying before that pastors have everything that they need. Um, not only do they have the Word of God, but interestingly enough, they're taught things like uh, hermeneutics and homiletics and catechetics. They're taught to interpret the Word of God faithfully. They're taught to preach the Word of God faithfully. They're taught to teach it. So they have these skills that they can employ not only in their congregations, but that they can employ in the world around them. They can go to public events and be a speaker. They can write op-eds for newspapers or for news outlets of some sort. Um, they can engage in board meetings, uh, civic board meetings, and meet with the civic leaders and do what they can to influence them by the skills that they already have as a pastor. And that, that has a wonderful effect well beyond the doors of the church, if they're willing to employ them, if they're willing to do that. Um, so pastors can practice that and can do that all year long. What's the most important thing that a pastor can do to impact the issue of abortion? The, the most important thing I think that they can do is to, uh, and sort of backtracking on what we've said already, um, is to overcome that fear. Find the vigor to get through that fear and recognize that it's not about you, it's about others. Uh, to recognize that lives are at stake uh, and that your preaching and your teaching makes a difference. Uh, the, the Word of God, again, influences, it converts and it convinces the heart. And the more, the more opportunities a pastor has to give that, whether it's to his own members or to people outside of the congregation, the more change happens, the more possibilities for that to happen. Um, the, there's a problem um, with some of this too, though, and it comes to mind, uh, who was it? Um, you're going to probably want to edit this out, this thought process. Um, uh, it was Edward Muir. He's a, a Scottish poet, and he's the one who said, uh, he said, fearlessly the lawless roads, how does it go? Fearlessly the lawless roads ran wrong throughout the lands. And what does he mean by that? He means that lawlessness has a fearlessness about it. And that requires an equal fearlessness to combat it. Um, if we as a congregation or we as uh, pastors don't have that same fearlessness, if we can't conquer the fear we've got of being exposed as pro-life, <laughs> um, then we've got a problem because the forces aligned against the pro-life movement are strong. And we already know who's driving them, the devil, the world, and the sinful flesh, and they're not gonna back off. Uh, now, on the other hand, that also begs the question as to who's most equipped for going into this combat and, and uh, standing firm. It's the Christians, the Christian churches, the pastors, the, the people. Why is that? Because again, we're equipped with a knowledge that gives us hope that no matter what happens, our Lord is the Savior. He, he's already won the victory through his life, death, and resurrection. That's, that 
enlivens us uh, for going off into this. We're the, we're the best equipped to do that. Now again, um, since Muir comes to mind, um, there's another aspect to that. Um, what is it that we're exactly combating when it comes to this lawlessness? Um, right now, radical individualism is running amok in our society. And what is radical individualism? It's the, it's the belief that you're free to be and say and do anything you want without consequence. Um, so uh, it's important that congregations, that pastors, again, lead their congregations in understanding how do we navigate those waters? How do we navigate this radical individualized uh, secular culture and understand that while we may want to do something, it may not be in alignment with the will of God. And so our opinions and our, our thoughts on these things uh, are to be in submission to God's uh, thoughts and his opinions. Again, pastors, make that happen. What is it about the title of our uh, outreach, Love Protects Life, that reaches you as a pastor? It, it absolutely does. Um, because you use, the title itself says it all, Love Protects Life. And as soon as I saw that title, I thought of uh, Luke chapter 10. I thought of the Good Samaritan text. And this is something that uh, in various presentations I've, I, I've talked about before. But there's a reason that I talk about it because it's good to tell pastors or to remind them of what the biblical definition of love actually is. Um, when you dig into the scriptures and you understand love and you understand it from God's perspective, you realize things like, you know, the opposite of love, it's not hate. It's not that when God, uh, that uh, if you don't love someone, you hate them. The, the biblical interpretation here would, be, would say that the opposite is that you don't care. So the, it's disinterest. So the opposite of I love you is I don't care about you. Uh, that is about as far from what our God is, who he is in his very core, what's, what's burning inside the engine of the one who gave his son for us. We fell into sin. He didn't take off running. He loves us. The perfect love of God. What did he do? He reached out and he acted uh, to rescue us. So that's love. And so I mentioned before that Luke 10 comes to mind because it's an interesting story, that story of the Good Samaritan where uh, the Lord is speaking to a teacher of the law and is telling him uh, what it means to be a good neighbor. Um, a good neighbor is someone who acts. Um, and so the Lord, interesting, he, interestingly, he sets the stage and the characters in the story are clergy. There's a cue to us as to whom the Lord is aiming this text. Um, lots of folks will say this text is all about, you know, uh, how to be a good person, you know, uh, what God expects of you as a good person. It's not, actually. If you read the whole text, you understand that the Lord is trying to make the point that we fail, and we fail miserably. That's something that could be burning on the inside of the clergy as they're listening to this, especially when we listen to the story and we realize, again, those characters are clergy. What's the, the first clergy person to come by is a pastor, or excuse me, is a priest, and, and what does he do? Well, he's probably doing what Will, William Hazlitt said. Uh, he's the 18th century essayist who said something like, uh, you know, um, we never do anything well until we cease thinking about doing it. And then by that time, uh, we're finally maybe ready to pronounce upon the characters. So, so what's, what's he do? He comes by and he, uh, he passes by. He's got things to do. He's got to get to the church. He has to lead the liturgy. He has to lead Bible study. He has to do these different things. And most likely, in a, in a very real sense, he probably said, oh, that's terrible. I feel sorry for this person, but kept on down the road. And then along comes the Levite who has to get to the temple to do temple things. And 
most likely the same thing. He had things to do, sacrifices to offer or whatever. He probably looked on that Samaritan and said, oh, this is terrible. You know, I've got things I've got to get done. There's always time for Bible studies. <laughs> There's always time for leading the liturgy. There's always time for uh, confirmation classes and baptisms and all of these things. Um, but if you don't act, this person will never experience any of that anyway. So the point is, for crying out loud, help the dying man. Um, that's the point. Act. Love acts. It reaches out and it does something to protect life. Um, and so that title itself is a wonderful image um, already being portrayed in the scriptures and now being iterated by um, Right to Life of Michigan, urging us, get in the game. It's not just because we're trying to win some sort of an agenda, but because it's godly, it's faithful. It's the display of true divine love from one human being to the next to care about the helpless, to care about the vulnerable, to... to uh, offer to them protection and love. So it's a great title. I, I appreciate that you guys have chosen it. Thanks for listening into this interview that we did with Pastor Chris Toma. Again, if you're interested in Love Protects Life, go to our website, rtl.org. You can find it from the homepage or you can go to rtl.org slash lovelife. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful fall weekend.